Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Allison Park Leadership Podcast, where we talk about the principles behind the plans. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave. And my name is Jeff, and we're glad you've joined us today. Um, we have some five-star reviews, Dave. Yeah, okay. We So I'll just say, we want to do some <laughs> gratitudes uh, to our faithful listeners who are, are always joining us. Um, and some of you left us some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, and it's our pleasure to shout you out to, to say thank you, because that really does... Uh, help us to to spread the word about this. So thanks to Leech Squad, to Josh Arguijo, R. Bennett, and Kyle and Becky. So thankful to you. Yeah. And, thanks, yeah. guys. Appreciate it. We would love to shout out you as well if you are <laughs> someone who has not yet had a chance to leave a five-star review. You can also do Spotify. Unfortunately, we can't see the names of those who leave their views on Spotify. Yeah. But if you have done that, thank huge you, shout you. out to you as well. So uh, you always say this, we, we didn't say this today, but we're a father and son duo team that uh, you're the lead pastor of APC and I'm one of our campus pastors. And I decided not to say that to throw you off a little bit since we always do the same thing. Yeah, of so. course. My name is Jeff. And yeah, <laughs> you, you know the drill. You guys yeah. have heard. But yeah, so uh, if, if you're new, thank you for joining us for this brand new episode that we're doing today. Um, today, we are going to be, going to be answering question... So um, before we before we do the big reveal of our topic not, today, okay. I will just say <laughs> the last, the title well, the last <laughs> podcast that we did was on the Nephilim and the question of Genesis chapter 6, and we really scratched a niche with that, man. Uh, tons of people listened and engaged with that podcast. I actually think we may have some new listeners, and so especially if you started listening since our Nephilim episode, welcome. We're really glad you've joined us today. Yeah. So now let's talk about topic And if you're four. of Nephilim descent... <laughs> Let us know. Just kidding. Anyway, all right. So today we are going to get into another heavy topic, as we like to do. Yep. Um, the topic is, can I lose my salvation? Yes. We're in a series right now, um, a sermon series on the weekends at Allison Park Church called Letters to the End of the World. Letters from, from the End of the World? Letters from the End of, the, the, world, end of the World, which is studying Jesus's... Uh, so. Uh, a lot of people even didn't know these letters existed, um, or at least didn't understand them to to this degree, that Jesus in resurrected form, right after he ascended into heaven, 60 years after approximately, uh, appears in a vision to John and gives, you know, basically a revelation of himself, chapter one, and then dictates seven letters to seven churches in, at the time, Asia Minor, now present-day Turkey. And in each one of those letters, he says some things to correct some stuff, to commend them for some stuff, to give them hope in some things. And in the letter to the church at Sardis, which is, I believe, letter number five, Revelation chapter three, at the end of the letter, he says, um, for those that are victorious and do the things that I'm telling them to do, I will not blot their name out of the book of life, right? So the phrase... So if he had said it positively, I will write your name in the book of life. No question really is, is nor concern is being asked of that. But the idea that your name could be in the book of life and blotted out of the book of life brings up this question of, can I get saved and then somehow do something in my life to lose my salvation and perish for all eternity? And that is the question brought up by this particular passage of Scripture. And it's a scary thought. Yeah. So I know in one of the past podcasts, Dave, you talked about how when you were like 11 years old, you went through a, a season where you thought you definitely were going to hell, right? Yeah. 
That's I think funny. it was in the Hell episode. Okay, right? okay. I was going <laughs> to say, it's funny because, you know, a little background, we recorded half of this, actually the full episode, and then it didn't work. So I was like, yeah. did I say that in a fast yeah. one, or was it the one that didn't work? Yeah. Meaning, uh, okay, to clarify, uh, we were recording this particular episode, Can I uh, Lose My Salvation, and got 20 minutes into it, what was a 50-minute conversation, and realized that 20 minutes into it, the camera shut off. <laughs> so then it just became a great father-son conversation that no one in the world will ever get to hear. Nobody will ever hear it. But this one so, will be even better. By the way, yeah. if you preach multiple services, sometimes in the second or third round you're preaching, you think, did I already say this? <laughs> I know. That's why I'm like, what have I said today? I, at least it wasn't, we, we've waited a week or yeah. whatever to, to let it re, you know, yeah. re-simmer. Yeah, I mean, so the, the story that I... I was sharing in the conversation nobody will ever hear, um, <laughs> <laughs> except for you and me. Um, when I was when I was eleven, um, I was I don't know. I, I mean, I know this will sound weird to some people. It wouldn't be weird to you because you grew, you know, you watched me grow up. But I was a very like deep thinker, even yes. as like a ten or eleven year old kid. Yes, you were. Um, I mean, I like I think this this is some of the stuff I was sharing. I was like re- I was probably reading at a at a level much higher than where I was at. I was reading a lot of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and stuff in like third grade and, you know, didn't understand everything, but. And, and we, you know, so there's these famous books about the rapture and the second coming and all of that stuff that was written by Tim LaHaye and, um, and uh, Jerry Jerry B. Jenkins. Yeah. (laughs) And there was a, there was a teen version of that that had like probably about 20 mini books and you read through the whole series. Yeah. Left behind, which probably had somewhat of an effect on this mindset. Yeah, they're pretty fun books, but they're kind of terrifying. Yeah. And it was at a time, it was at a time and place or in culture in Christian culture anyway, where there was a lot of focus on the rapture is coming. Jesus will be back any second now. Make sure you're ready. Cause if you're not ready, you're going to miss it, you know, and you definitely want to make sure you don't like come to Jesus and then backslide. And then you miss the rapture and you know, you know, you missed it, and all your friends and family are gone. Anyway, so for me, I, I think I was probably reading through something like that, but I was also in the Bible, and you know, I somehow had stumbled upon like this idea of the unpardonable sin, and I, I was just like genuinely horrified that I had already done that by accident, and I probably spent like, like a, a good solid maybe six straight months where I was very upset and sort of almost depressed and terrified and thought I probably wasn't going to heaven because I'd probably committed the unpardonable sin and my name was going to be blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And it sounds sort of silly and ridiculous, but it was it was genuinely like, you know, mentally, I don't know, like it was it was some mental anguish for me as a little eleven year old because I really thought I was going to hell. Yeah. Um so yeah, the 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 conversation and the topic, the question, can I lose my salvation kind of cuts deep for me because I remember what that felt like. Yeah. Well I think um, it's pretty common experience for someone, a young person or someone who's been saved for a while and then has a bad season in their life and they wonder, have I jeopardized this? And then and then you do come across this this question. So here's the passage that you're referring to. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, verse 31, and so I tell you that every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself, will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So then it goes on to say, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree will be recognized by its fruit. So there are these 
What if the tree on my fruit on my tree is bad? What if I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit? What if I've had a bad season in my life and I haven't been living in obedience to God? Can my name be blotted out of the book of life? I had those moments of terror as a young man too. So let's address it, right? How do we how do we uh, how do we deal with this? I think it's probably good to start with talking about what does salvation actually even mean, right? You know, because like, if you're going to lose it, you probably need to know what it actually means. <laughs> yeah. I think like everybody's common, like the common thought about what salvation means is, uh, oh man, it's, I don't, I, I'm going to lose the reference, but it's in Romans where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Or is that, do you remember yeah, the reference? Romans chapter 10, I think it's 11, 12 or something like that, right around there. Nine, nine and 10, nine yeah. and 10, Romans 10, nine and 10. There we go. Yeah, so... You know, okay, so basically the idea is because of your sin, you are spiritually dead. Not only guilty before God, but also spiritually dead inside. And the only way to be made right with God and to have the promise of eternity forever is to be born. So you have to be forgiven of your sin, and you have to be born spiritually or born again. And that ignition has to happen on the inside of you of life that's given to you. And when that life is given to you on the inside— then your then your soul is alive for all eternity, and even when your body dies, you continue to live. If you never have that that spiritual ignition on the inside, where you receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for you on the cross, and you've believed in the resurrected Jesus, and you've experienced life on the inside of you, then you are in that condition of spiritual death. And if you die physically, when you're dead spiritually then there is this uh, permanent condition that we talked about in uh, Why Has the Church got si- Gone Silent on Hell in past episodes. Yeah. Worth so, listening to at some point, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. by the way. So the question is, can I be born again or born spiritually and have my sins forgiven and then somehow lose that spark on the inside and it die out and I now perish forever? yeah. And I think I, I've, I, I was, yeah, I, I've, I've had some friends that almost had this feeling of like, I know I was saved at one point, and yeah. then I might have gotten like unsaved, and then I think I'm saved again. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I'm that's, hoping I can hang on to it. Yeah, right? I, think, I think that's like a question, like <laughs> unsaved, resaved, unsaved, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah, I, I don't know. I, you, you were talking about how that was a common idea for a while, right? That, that you could kind of be back and forth over the line. Yeah, okay, and... so there are basically two polar opposite belief systems about that. One is called eternal security, which is the idea that once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. So one saved, always saved, because you have verses that's like, say, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so if we're saved because of God's grace, which is his decision to release to us that which we could never earn on our own, if it's accessed by faith and not by our performance, then the basis of our salvation isn't what we do. It's, it's what he has done in and, in and through us. And then you have verses somewhere in the book of John, it says like this, Jesus says, you know, these are my children and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So mm-hmm. This idea, or Romans chapter 8, which says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, and then it has this long list of things. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the love, the Spirit of life, have set me free from the law of sin and death. So there is verse after verse after verse that says, 
you are secure in your salvation because it didn't come because of your performance anyway. It came because of God's decision to save you in Christ. And all you did was by faith connect into the flow of his grace. So that's one one side, eternal security. On the other side, you have eternal insecurity, (laughs) which is almost like, yes, you are saved by grace, but if you don't... So what James says is faith connects us to grace, but faith without works is dead, right? So I remember Adrian Rogers, a, a pastor in um, in Tennessee, who used to say, we are saved by grace alone, but the grace that saves is never alone. Meaning, like Jesus said, you can tell if a, if a tree is good because of its fruit. And so if a person has prayed a prayer somewhere, they came forward in an altar call, they raised their hand, they prayed a prayer, and then the rest of their life, there's no spiritual change at all. Their attitude doesn't change. Their behaviors don't change. They don't show any example of the fact that they have had, uh, you know, a, a Holy Spirit now birthed on the inside of them. Then we would say, were they really saved, or were they saved and then they lost it? Yeah. So or were they never the example, saved at all? <laughs> the example we used in our secret conversation, yeah, that never got recorded, <laughs> was, um, you know, if someone if someone gives their life to Jesus. They pray the prayer and they live like six months of, you know, yeah, a, you a see pretty the change, holy right? life. Then see, see the change, yep. and then they live the next fifty years of their life as the worst possible, horrible person, right? You know, murdering and living a life of debauchery and corruption. Doing it like is that person because they prayed the prayer? Are they saved eternally because you can't snatch that out of you know God's hand or? Are they now unsaved, so the or were two, they never the saved at all? the two opposite poles would say, so if you have this example of Joe who gets saved, leaves a life of drugs, starts to go to church, starts to do kind things, becomes generous, grateful, you see the evidence of his attitude change, and he lives that way for two years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden backslides and becomes more addicted, more horrible, more inhumane. The person on the you know eternal security side was well they probably were never saved it never took we were just fooled by two years of fake performance religiously mm-hmm. the people on the eternal insecurity side would say well no they were genuinely saved but then they lost their salvation because of their patterns of rejection of God mm-hmm. and so neither one would say someone who lives a fifty years of wickedness yeah, right, right. Is, is now giving evidence that they are truly saved. But the question becomes, what actually did happen to that guy uh, that, that seems to have backslid beyond all repair? Yeah. And there are verses. Can I just throw a verse? Because I gave the verses on the eternal security side. Well, I got a lot of verses here, too. Okay, do you want to start? <laughs> well, you know what? One verse that I didn't mention last time that I was thinking about... Um, is that the parable of the sower? Because it kind of always feels similar to that yeah. to me. You know, where Jesus talks about there, there's a sower who scattered seed, and I'm paraphrasing, but some some seed fell on hard well, soil. Well, three of the four end up being unfruitful. Right. Some some fell on the pathway, and the birds came down and got Some it started to sprout, but the, the weeds and vines came to, to choke it out. And then others fell into good soil, and they reproduced, you know, yeah, uh, thirty, sixteen hundred fold. I don't think so. Here's my take on that. I don't uh-huh. actually think that that's so. It's really hard to take a parable and too broadly apply it. Okay. To, so I actually don't think that that's talking about salvation. I think it's talking about 
the growth of faith in your life. Oh, you think? I don't know if I agree. Because isn't that about hearing the Word? It's those Yeah, who... but that's, that's... So in any area of your life, if you hear a Word and you don't let that Word take root in your life, it because the Word's going to bear fruit in you, and f- fruit that will come through obedience and trust and walking it out. I actually don't think that... Could it apply to salvation? I think it could, but I don't think broadly... It is a salvation parable. Well, how do you know it's a faith parable? Because <laughs> well, yeah, go ahead. So, I, I guess we have to go to that if you want to find that passage. Do you have that one? Uh, I don't have it pulled up. Okay, yet. so let's let's circle back. I'll find that in a minute. Let's, sure. Let's, okay. let's solve so, the question of that that parable. But there are some other verses. Yeah, I got other verses okay. here that I think are uh, that are so th- these are the ones that probably would show in my mind at least why. I do think it is possible to to lose your salvation, which I think is coming out with my stance. And we'll we'll get here. I, I'll, I'll say at the at the beginning of this, at the outset, before we start to read these, um, let me give a little sneak peek of my resolution because I think these verses are really intense, and it's hard to hear some of these. Um, what I think helped me to co- sort of come out of my mini crisis as I was really concerned about um, my own salvation was just sort of this revelation that like if you really care about whether or not you're saved and you're trying and you're struggling and you don't feel like you're there, God is not like some hateful person up here who's like, unless you're perfect, you're not going to heaven and you're, you've backslid too far. And, you know, if, if you're trying and you're struggling and you're giving yourself to God, but your life isn't perfect yet, God has grace and there's so much grace for us. We're, we're saved, you know, entirely through grace. So as we start to read through some of these, I think if you're fearing for your own soul, there's a there's a yeah. healthy aspect of like let's examine ourselves, but don't let the devil uh, steal your joy and well. And I think that's and, the actual interpretation of the unpardonable sin. Jesus said, "So let's take the word blasphemy out, which is a really big word. If you say if if you speak against or resist Jesus, um, that isn't a, a stopper for you." Because eventually Jesus is going to continue to pursue you where he could maybe turn things around. But the the person in the world that leads you to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is moving in your life to try to bring you to the person of Jesus Christ and to salvation, and you are speaking against and, and resisting the Holy Spirit's work in your life, that will prevent you from being forgiven because it is so. If, like you're saying, if you're a person who is fe- feeling fear or concern or conviction, and you're wondering, have I lost? I really want to be saved more than anything else, and I want to be right with God. If that is your concern, then obviously you're not resisting the Holy Spirit, mm. right? That's so good. the very question, have I lost my salvation, is probably proof that you haven't lost your salvation. Right, right. So the fact that you're deeply concerned about, I want to make sure that I'm saved and right with God— is actually evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit's still alive and at work in your life. It's when you don't care and you become completely calloused and hardened and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit and you have no fear of God remaining in your life, that is the place that's most concerning. Yeah, okay, so yeah. let's let's read about the concern and in, in the Scripture that we find. Okay. One is from Hebrews, we don't know the author, but in the, in the book of Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, uh, it says, "For this is ESV, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, basically who have been saved, is yep. what's all that's saying, right. and then who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, 
since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, so, so that actually says that it isn't possible to lose your salvation and get it back and lose your salvation and get it back and lose your salvation and get it back. Nick, it's This is not a dance, you're in, you're out, you're, you're in, you're out. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like I remember some preachers I heard when I was growing up would preach like this, if Jesus comes back and you are in a place you shouldn't be, you know, it was a sin to go to the movies back then. You were in a movie theater watching an R-rated movie, and Jesus came back, you'd get left behind. That's just ridiculous, okay? Your salvation is not that flimsy. Right. God's choice in your, in your life is, is not that weak. Mm-hmm. That if Jesus were to return and somehow you're in a moment of stumble, that he's like, okay, the cross is not enough anymore. No, no, that's, that's, that's eternal insecurity. Yeah. Um, so, but it does seem to indicate once you cross the line and you lose it, you probably aren't getting back. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's keep that, going. Would you say that's, that's true? That's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's here's a here's a saying of Jesus from Matthew seven. This one's intense. Um, it says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." On that day, uh, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name?" and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whew. So that's a really crazy one, too, because who? how many people are there in the world that are out there seeking to cast out demons and heal the sick? And so I guess there is an, Jesus is almost using an example from absurdity in a way, right? Like just having outward signs of... Power is not enough to actually have a regenerated heart. Mm. Fruit is a better example. So seeing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, because I guess it would would make sense. In Revelation, it says that the Antichrist and the beast will perform counterfeit signs. Yeah. So um, signs and wonders aren't the proof. It's the fruit on the tree that is. Let me give you another one here, Dave. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So if we deliberately keep on sinning uh, after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so then you got these, there is therefore no condemnation. No one can snap you out of Jesus's hand. You know, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then you have these verses that we just read on the other side, which makes this particular issue um, an issue where you have two different things being said in Scripture that hold this particular question in tension on purpose. Like, it's there as a tension on purpose. And anytime you have two things that are held in tension like that, I heard... I don't know, it was either Charles Spurgeon or D.L. Moody, one of the two, who said, for me, holding these two things, these two ideas in your hand, is a lot like holding the reins to a carriage with a horse that's driving it. If you hold just one side, you end up going in circles. If you hold the other side, you go in circles. But when you hold them together in tension, you go straight ahead. And so I think these these are doctrines or ideas that are designed to be held in tension. Yeah, I think somewhat. But I do think there's also oh. I do think no I do think there's also an, an answer though because I, I, okay so 
I have a proposed answer. That salute- I do think their intention, but they're not. They're not. It's not a paradox. There are some. So I think he was talking about like a paradox of predestination versus free will. And all he that was. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Th- this one feels like a a line that you have to tiptoe down, and and there is a tension. There is a tension. Uh, the, I think the tension specifically. What's the balance of grace and works? Like because we are saved by grace alone, but then the good works and the fruit that comes out of your life is a big part of this too. Why why don't you, I know you have a a theory. All right. So here's how I solve the conundrum. Are you ready? Yes. From a biblical passage here. So if you are following along in your Bible in this particular episode, because this is of interest to you, you'll find in first Corinthians chapter five, an episode where Paul now is correcting the Corinthian church and providing to them in each chapter, some things they need to deal with. And one of the things that they needed to deal with was a man who was living in obvious sexual sin and and was unrepentant, okay? So basically, since we did some gross stuff in the Nephilim episode with Noah's son Ham, who mm. uh, did this power move with his mom, okay, this guy's sleeping with a stepmother. And uh, so he says, so when you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, let's talk about that in a minute, for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So Paul said, look, you've confronted him, he hasn't repented, it's now time to disfellowship him from your midst so that he feels the impact of his patterns of behavior, and in the process, ask God to remove the hedge from his life so that the devil has a chance to hit him more directly, which is a really intense prayer. I have never reached a place like that with anybody in my pastoral ministry. That's that's a pretty severe step. But he does this, notice, for the destruction of the body, so that the Spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So here's, here's my idea. If there is a line that you can cross where eventually you become reprobate and unable to, you, you lose, you go back into a condition of spiritual death, and you, your mind and heart become so darkened that you can never return. If there is that line that the Bible does seem to indicate exists, my question is, does God ever let anyone get to that far? That if, the, if they're running away from God, they've been saved, they're running away from God, God has the option to take you out of this life before you hit that point. To kill you. Yes. Or to allow you to die, at least. To allow you to be hit by an attack of the enemy to where you die prematurely, so that you don't lose your soul for all eternity. I think that you could make a case that God loves us so much, that Jesus did so much to pay for our sin, that he would do whatever it takes to keep us in his hand, like, like it says, no one can snatch you out of my hand, and take us out of this life before we hit that point. The part that I, I struggle with, with my interpretation there, is going back to our conversation, Dave, about hell, where we basically use the C.S. Lewis statement to say, heaven is where we are saying to God, thy will be done, and hell is where God says to us, thy will be done. (laughs) And so if a person is running away from God, and they're denying God's will in their life, how does them just dying early prevent that long-term condition Mm-hmm. of denying God's will and purpose in their life. So it's that's a little bit of a mystery, but I do like to remind people because look, we don't want to live what we don't want to do is live in perpetual eternal insecurity. I think we what I I would preach is a doctrine of extreme security. 
meaning that you're secure in Christ because Jesus has God has chosen you in Christ, and He loves you in Christ, and He's forgiven you because of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is pulling you towards Christ. And you can stumble and struggle and have ups and downs and have moments where your heart gets a bit hard, and then discipline comes into your life and God tries to bring you back without being, you know, destined for eternal darkness. But I, maybe there is something good about the idea that there, these verses exist out there that tell us Stay the course, right? Yeah, I think it's important. Okay, so so here's here's I think some of the meat of this conversation. By the way, I love the idea, like I, it's it's terrifying in a sense, but that like God cares so much about our eternal security that like some of the prayers He's like, look, just pray that something bad happens to Him now because it's better for His yeah. physical body to be destroyed well, than His eternal. Soul. I mean. I would say, God, look, if you know that 10 years from now I'm going to walk away from you forever, take me out now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't wait for that moment where I'm put to that kind of test. I would much rather die at, at you know 59 years old than be apart from God for all eternity. So I do think that a loving Heavenly Father has all kinds of options in His bag that still are very loving. Yeah, and, and I... I... It's the way that sounds. It sounds like God has probably used that option before. Sure. Oh, I'm absolutely positive. You know? Yes. Here's, oh, absolutely. Here's the the flip side, and this is this is I think where some of the usefulness of these kind of scriptures come, is a lot of a lot of the analogies that um, that Jesus and Paul used are sort of these agricultural um, tree or vine illustrations, and. Um, there's a passage in Romans 11 that I think is helpful with this, and it's it's a little bit complicated. So let me give a little bit of the background for this and, and try to follow me here. Uh, Paul Paul on this part is talking to the Roman church, which is full of Gentiles, meaning non-Jew Christians. Yep. And Romans is really like a deep dive on Christian theology. In fact, it's our, probably our best, most complete book of what it means to be a Christian and to be saved and justified by faith and all this. Um, and in Romans 11, um, he talks about how there's this history of God's people, where at one point, you know, in, in the Old Covenant before Jesus, God's people were the, the nation of Israel, where God was demonstrating to the rest of the world what it looks like to be in covenant relationship with the Creator God yeah. by his relationship with these people. Right. And, still, and so because of that, it's still God's desire to honor um, the covenant with his people of Israel, but now in the new covenant, it's been much expanded. And in fact, some of the people of Israel that have now rejected God have fallen away, even though they would have been a part of the original plan to be God's people because they've rejected Jesus. So what he says here in Romans 11, um, he's talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, he says, let me look here, let's do... He's talking about... Okay, so I'll go, I'll go to verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, meaning Israel, and you, though a wild olive shoot, he's talking to Gentiles, to the Romans, okay, you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in um, among the others, and now you share in the in the nourishing sap of the olive root. Um, he says, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider, uh, if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will then say, but branches were broken off, so I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, the people of Israel, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who felt, but, uh, fell, but kindness to you, 
um, provided that you continue in, in this kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. Yeah, and then that's sort of repeated in a very famous passage, John 15, I'm the true vine, Jesus speaking, the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So this also seems to echo that uh, idea. Wait, did you read the part where it says a cut off and tossed into the fire? So I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away, withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Yeah, crazy. That's intense. Yeah. So, so those two passages taken together do sort of indicate this idea. And then just to add a little bit to that, because towards the end you said, you know, be aware of the kindness and sternness of God. And then in Philippians chapter 2... It says, uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. And then it adds the other side. So continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That gives the, you could potentially lose it. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to willing to act according to his good purpose, which kind of says, God is working. You just got to work with him, right? It's really up to him because even the vine and the branches we are not working to bear fruit to prove that we're saved. We're working to stay connected with Christ, and as long as we are, we will be fruitful because it's the sap in the vine that flows into the branch that produces the fruit. We aren't working to produce fruit. We're not trying to labor to prove that we're saved. Or to earn it's, our salvation. Or to earn our salvation. Yeah. It's grace that connects us to the vine, and it's the grace of God that flows from the vine into our branch and it's that life of the Holy Spirit in us that produces the fruit, that gives evidence. We just have one job, stay connected, abide in Christ, remain in Christ. And if you do that, everything's going to be good. Fruit will happen in your life, transformation will happen in your life. Um, but be aware that you want that connection to be strong and that you don't want to become unfruitful, because then you put yourself in a perilous, perilous situation. So if we go back now to the original question, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis, uh, to those who are victorious, I won't blot your name out from the book of life. Remember, this is when you stand before God through your trust in Jesus Christ. You are legally declared righteous, yeah. therefore entered into the book of life as one of the righteous ones. And uh, like he has a whiteout kind of <laughs> factor or feature where someone could be blotted out, what I'm saying is I don't think it happens. Maybe it does, but I think it's more rare. It's it's definitely not as common as people being constantly afraid that I got saved and now I'm not saved. Well let me and okay. so let me let me let me throw this out here. Yeah. Here's what's common in my mind. I think what's common is a misconception of what salvation actually means. Okay. And I think that by that standard, lots of people either aren't saved or don't stay saved. What standard? Um, uh, what's I think in in our Christian side of the world, uh, this like the West, but uh, let's say spe- specifically Americans, I think there is a perception that what being saved means is to have a moment where you pray, and then you attend church for a little bit. Maybe it maybe it actually only happens so right the, here when you it's pray. It's the purchase of fire insurance. Yeah. Right. So I I want to make sure I'm going to heaven, but I haven't yet really surrendered my life to Jesus. 
I, and I, I think what, what easy the, believism is what I think the phrase is, right? Where you just yeah. sort of cheap grace, like, uh, yeah, yeah, I check that box. I or, prayed, or no, prayed this, that this, but I think it's, I think it's more intense than that. I, okay. I, I think, I think where it goes is, I believe, therefore I'm saved. It's like okay. a, it's like a mental. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. Maybe I read it, but most and of I'm, it and anyway, I'm, I'm right? not. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not living like a total heathen. But like the the um, condition of salvation is, it starts with a an act of submission to Jesus. Yeah. That I am a sinner and I'm repenting, and now I will follow you. And what staying connected to the vine me- means is staying submitted. What are you asking me to do? I hold nothing back. That doesn't mean that we don't struggle. But I think the the mis misperception misconception of this is the idea. A lot of people think because I believe the right things, and maybe I go to church a lot, or I do a lot of the right things. That's yeah. what's being saved is. But it's really like a choice to surrender and follow Jesus. And I, in my here's here's the way that I would inter- interpret it. What what feels scary to me is a lot of people that sort of have this false belief that they've actually made the choice when all they've done is pray to prayer, but have not surrendered most of their life. It's like, if you look at a lot of the sticky areas, relationships, mm, um, sexual practices, money, time, it's like, well, yeah, like a lot of that's there, but it's like just enough. It's not actually surrender, in which case it's like, well, that's not really what what salvation or remaining in Jesus is. That's yeah, like so, you want it on the side. So it's interesting. Do you know the modern altar call that we typically use in most evangelical churches, which is raise your hand, pray a prayer, uh, wasn't actually a methodology used in the New Testament at all. Um, it was it was more choose to follow Jesus, get baptized. Yeah. Right, so right you, here you, and now. Yeah, yeah, and so you got... You, baptism was that outward symbol of things. But the altar call started with an evangelist in the 1820s by the name of Charles Finney, and he actually, what he would do is he would preach that you're not saved and you need to get saved, and at the front of of his um, meetings, he would have some pews called mourner's benches. And what you would do is you would go to the front, and you would kneel there, and, and you would pray that God would forgive you through Christ until you felt inwardly that the Holy Spirit told you that you were forgiven and you were a child of God. And if that meant you stayed there for hours yeah. until you felt that breakthrough, you stayed there for hours. And if it took a few minutes, and so there was a massive revival through Charles Finney, then that kind of got jet, gradually reduced down to come forward and pray a prayer, because most people instantaneously feel the breakthrough. Because like, here's what Romans 8 says, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And in most cases, the moment you say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior, I come into my life— Something happens right there at that moment of confession because it's not, it's not hard to be saved. <laughs> it just takes faith in Christ, and the moment you put faith in Christ, something sparks on the inside. But it isn't also reduced down to a sentence prayer formula where you just say the sentences and therefore you've executed the transaction with God. It does take being born again or being born spiritually, and that requires that inward witness that the Holy Spirit gives you. Mm-hmm that this has, has actually happened for you. And so over time, you know, the Billy Graham ministry happened, and so many people walk forward, and now it became sort of a standard, the altar call. And some people actually get saved but never get baptized, right? Yeah. Not that baptism saves you, but that was really the induction ceremony that said, I've died to my old life. I've repented of my past. I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. I go into the water, come up out of the water to declare that. 
and I want the whole world to know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That is designed to be the full picture. Inward confession, or we should say inward belief, outward confession of Jesus with your mouth, followed up quickly by being baptized in water. Which results in a lifestyle transformation and a surrendering, yeah, or at least an attempt to surrender. I mean, there's a whole thing... The theological term is sanctification, which means being made to look more and more like Jesus and less of like your sinful nature. But that should be in process. And it, it I, I think the key that we, we often miss when we're talking about being saved in American church is surrender. Yeah. And if you're not surrendered, you really haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. It's yes. not optional or like, well, I'll surrender maybe most it's, things. it's the word repentance, right? Repentance, which means leaving the old and now being being turning towards Christ. It's, I surrender my past, I surrender the old way, I'm, I'm yielding myself to you. It's, it's to repent and believe, which I guess put those two together and you get surrender, right? Yeah, well, re- repentance is... So I, I think when, when I hear the word repentance, the easy definition is like, I'm sorry that I've done wrong. No, but it means to turn around, 180 Change the way you think, change the way you act. And it means anything that I'm currently doing that that I realize God wants me to not do or to do differently, I am deciding right now yeah. to change. And I think that that's where it, it, it is good. So it, I, I think, that to clarify, it doesn't mean that as soon as you get saved, you have to be perfect, but it means you have to make the choice to repent and to follow. Yeah. And without but by that choice, his grace, there are a lot of people that didn't totally, it was a fog the moment that they made sure, the choice. Sure, sure. But God so desperately wants you in that, that if there's an element of faith and repentance expressed, it sparks something. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't I, think we want to bring to... back the mourner's bench. No, no, sure. Yeah, but, but, but sometimes I do wonder, are we being too anonymous? Yeah. You know, I, I understand, like, the fear of crowds, and do we always need everybody always to come down front and do something crazy? But, like... There, there is, like, it's a public lifestyle change. Yeah, tell somebody, right? So it, it, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and at the end he says, they say, what shall we do then? And maybe you're asking this question as you're listening to this episode, and you're like, so how do I know if I'm saved, and what do I do if I'm not sure? Well, here's what Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you need to act on this now. Say, Say it right now, Jesus, I repent of my old life. I, I'm not depending on myself to get saved or my religious works. And I believe in you, that you're the Son of God, that you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the grave. And I'm asking you now as I surrender my soul to you to forgive my sin and cleanse my life, make me right with God. And at my first opportunity, I'm going to go to a, my pastor or my church, and I'm going to set up an appointment to get water baptized so I can publicly state to the whole world and to myself that I am now a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And if you do that, if you take that kind of aggressiveness, the promise of God is you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. And here's what it then says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far far off on all whom the Lord God will call. So so take that step. If you have taken that step, you're and you're doing your best to follow Jesus, but you have days of inconsistency there's some good news. There's no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not trying to pound you with the fist or make you feel horrible. In fact, the devil sometimes uses questions like this, can I lose my salvation, to create fear and guilt and shame on your life. And you need to tell the devil where to go. You need to say, I now rebuke you. 
My sins are forgiven in Christ. I'm surrendered to Him. I'm not saved by my own works. I'm going to walk in faith and in confidence because you can be you can be secure in His choice of your life and of His love for you. Um, struggling is not losing your salvation. True. But there is one last category, yep. which would be someone that maybe has been a little comfortable and you'd realize now what you need is repentance. Yeah. Because there are some areas of your life that you have stopped or maybe have never surrendered and you know what they are. And you're like, I just don't want to stop watching those movies or yeah, I just don't because, want to rearrange my finances or whatever it might be. Yeah, because here's the, here's uh, there's, this is the two-part thing that we see in Jesus' talk on the, the vine and the branches in, in John 15. If you're, you're unfruitful and you're not really connected to the vine, you're going to get cut off and cast in the fire. Okay, let's say, okay, I know I'm not, not that guy or that gal. The second part is, if you're connected, but you're actually allowing for distractions and disobedience in your life, he's going to prune you back anyway mm-hmm. so that you can be even more fruitful. It's much less painful for you to surrender it than for him to prune it. Yeah, And then you get connected into the flow of life. And listen... Being in the flow of the life of God and the Holy Spirit's operation in your life is really how you were designed to live. And maybe the reason why your Christianity is so apathetic and boring is because you're not all in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you'll feel much more alive if you say, okay, I'm done with half measures and I'm going to surrender myself wholeheartedly to Jesus and allow him to do in my life. And then once you get there, you'll never question, have I lost my salvation ever again? You don't won't be worried about, is my name going to get blotted out of the book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we do do we do adequate th- from your perspective? I think Dave? so. I yeah? think so. It's 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 a difficult conversation, but I think just to wrap it all up, you know, if if you are still pursuing Jesus, it, you know, I, I think you can rest assured in your salvation. Um and just continue to reflect and examine your heart and allow God to do his work because it's a it's a daily walk, it's a daily sure. surrender. Yeah. And if you haven't, you know, made that decision and you want to, you can, you know, pray that prayer that, that Pastor Jeff prayed earlier. Yeah. And, and remember your 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 walk with God is not just a status right. saved, unsaved. It's a relationship. Yes. So you want to have a so have a relationship. Like talk to him and read his word and listen to him and lean into him. You're in relationship with you're a, you've been adopted into God's family. You're a child of God. You you belong to Him. He wants to know you. He wants to do life with you. Yeah. Um, the question shouldn't be what's my status as much as it is how connected am I to this person that is the best friend in my life. So good, great. Well, I think that that about wraps it up. Yeah. So we'll just end by saying you know thank you again for being a part of the conversation. We always love the feedback uh, we get from you guys as, as far as what what's been helpful, what topics you want to hear from us about. And, uh, you, you know, we always make this ask at the end, but it really does mean a lot. If, if you could help us to spread the word, um, it might take you 30 seconds right now. And I know oh, you're busy, but you can take 30 seconds if you have it. You know, like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, you can share this on social media. You can always leave us a five-star review in either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, but those kind of things just really help us to continue to reach more people. And so, you know, if, if you've been a listener for a while and you haven't yet done that, just think about that. It'd be so helpful to us. We would really appreciate that. So um, we'll just end by saying, you know, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll catch you again next time.